Hello there and welcome along to the podcast Sport and Life. How are you? I hope you're well. Thank you for hitting on the button. Thank you to the sponsors as well for their support. Chief sponsor Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV who are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installations. Check out Bang Olufsen Cheltenham online, their beautiful store in the courtyard and Montpellier and just give them a ring. Jason Briggs and his fine team I'm sure we'll sort you out with whatever you need in your home entertainment solutions. If you're looking to optimize your immunity, remember the association the podcast has with Cytoplan, food-based supplement company, supplements digested as close to possible as food would be. And if you go to cytoplan.co.uk, C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N.co.uk, you'll get a 30% discount off your first purchase, 10% ongoing with the code at checkout, Draper10R, my last name, D-R-A-P-E-R, all capital letters, the numerals one zero and the capital letter R. And also, don't forget, we are so intent on helping you enjoy life. We've teamed up with the Whole Man Academy and arranged for some lucky listeners to get a 100% free mentoring session with Anthony Asprey, guest of the podcast in April. Check out that session to find out more about the Whole Man Academy on the podcast list. By the end of the session, Anthony says you'll be much clearer on how to tackle any issues or challenges you are going through, especially if you ever feel stuck or not exactly where you want to be in life. Five complimentary sessions given away each month with the podcast. Go to the link in the show notes to sign up for that. Right on to the podcast itself. Very pleased to say that Martin St. Quentin has returned to the podcast, chairman of Gloucester Rugby Club and the Cheltenham Racecourse as well, steeped in rugby and horse racing and indeed business as well. Fantastic chap and really pleased to have his company on the podcast. Here he is, Martin St. Quentin. Martin St. Quinton, welcome back to the podcast Sport and Life. Welcome to my living room. Good to see you. How, how are you? Uh, thanks, Ed. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in good shape. Thanks. Yeah, all good. Yourself? Good. Very well, thank you. Yeah, I was watching your game because we uh, we normally would try and watch it, but normally we'd have a lot of Premier League football on a Sunday. But clearly this weekend the Premiership went ahead and, and the Premier League didn't in football. So I was watching the Gloucester game. I, I dare say you had a much happier second half than first half. It was incredible. Uh, the first half, we, having had quite a good pre-season, in all honesty, uh, we just were abject in the first half. We, you know, our discipline wasn't good. Our, our execution was very poor. We didn't get any territory. We didn't get any possession, and we were quite, quite reasonably twenty-one points to nil down. And yeah. uh, it was pretty, pretty gloomy in the director's <laughs> box at halftime. We were all shaking our heads, uh, fearing the worst. But uh, we did say. If you know, if we could score early on in the second half, it might be a different game. But I think we were saying that more in hope than anticipation. Yeah. Um, but of course, Reece Summit did score very early on, and then, well, you know the rest of the story. But it was a, it was a, it was a fantastic afternoon. But not, not, not good for the blood pressure, but uh, no, good fun. I think all the fans enjoyed it. So. Yeah, I definitely think that will that will give them a good feeling to start the season. No doubt they'll come back to the King's home soon. What was the uncertainty like last week when the, the Queen passed away? In terms of, was were things going ahead? Uh, well, different for different sports. Um, the DCMS, the Department of Sport and Media and Culture, uh, had a they had a, 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 a all party call on Friday morning, and, and all the, the representatives from all the main sports attended that. Mm. And they said, "Look, uh, we've got no hard and fast rules here. 
uh, you you have to use your judgment in your sport as yeah. to whether or not to go ahead. So they didn't say you must play sport. They didn't say you can't play sport. They just left it to each individual sport, which in some ways was in some ways was very good. But in other ways, left it you know, <laughs> left it became a bit of an open season. So uh, we took counsel uh, from that advice and had a board call on Friday morning. Uh, both for rugby and for horse racing, actual fact. Mm. Uh, and the rugby decision was to not play the two games on the Friday night, uh, which was a game at Bristol yeah. against Bath and a game, Sale versus Northampton. Not to play those two games out of a mark of respect. Did they move to, those games to the Saturday? Yeah, they moved yeah. one. The, the Bristol, Bristol game moved game, to five yeah. thirty Saturday, and the, and the Sale game moved to Sunday. And I think that was exactly the right decision. Uh, no sooner I think if we had gone ahead with those two games rugby union would have looked very disrespectful uh, and it would have been we would have been open to a lot of justifiable criticism I think uh, Simon Massey-Taylor the CEO of Premiership Rugby made the right call mm. said move those two games but we did think it was right to go ahead on Saturday Yeah, and again we were nervous about that but hoped that everybody would understand and I think everybody did and we went ahead with the games showing a lot of respect we had a, a minute's silence and you could have heard a pin drop Mm. Um, we then had we then sang the national anthem, uh, which was pretty rousing. You, you know, there's you know, ten or eleven, twelve thousand people singing "God Save the King," mm. and that was very good. All the players and, and the officials wore black armbands. In fact, all the support staff wore black uniforms, black t-shirts, and black shorts, and black socks, and black trainers. So I think it was very, very well done. Mm. And um, the games went ahead and. Uh, and in a, in a you know, slightly sober atmosphere, slightly sombre atmosphere, but one of respect, and mm. I think it went off very well. Yeah, it's always difficult to, to know what, when to get things right, isn't it? Football obviously had that blanket kind of suspension of, yeah. of fixtures, even down to grassroots football, which yeah. I know a few parents were a bit nonplussed about, yeah. Yeah. kids not playing on a Saturday and a Sunday. But it, it, I think for football as well, there's a logistical consideration, and the sheer volume of people that are moving around the country. So it was a, it was a complicated one for each, each sport. It was. We were a bit surprised that football went as went as far as they did, and, and sort of scrapped all football, obviously on the on the Friday, but mm. certainly on the Saturday and the Sunday and the Monday. We, we thought that was uh, perhaps a bit over zealous the other way, as it were. People um, were keen, like you said, to yeah. to actually go out and sing the anthem and, and be a part of it. Yeah. I think and they were. They were. I think football probably the benefit of hindsight would, would do it differently. I think all the other sports pretty much got it right. Golf. Mm. You know, resumed on Saturday. Cricket resumed on Saturday. Rugby union did. Horse racing didn't race on Saturday because of very close relationships between the royal family and horse racing. So uh, yeah. they they didn't resume until Sunday. But again, I think that was right. So yeah, I think most sports have got it right. Football probably didn't on this particular occasion. But it wasn't easy. You know, you had, you had an hour to make a decision mm. on Friday morning, and everybody was still in shock. And so hey. What was that like for you logistically juggling the, 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 the duties to Cheltenham Racecourse and Gloucester Rugby Club? Um, yeah, we had to switch hats pretty quickly. Yeah, you had to switch hats, but uh, I had the advantage of knowing what the other sport was doing, so I had a little yeah. bit of inside information which probably helped. Um, horse racing, I think, was always going to go uh, more on the side of, of you mm. know, closing down for a bit longer. I, 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 was actually at, uh, che- I was actually at Chelmsford Racecourse on Thursday afternoon. Mm. Uh, when I went to Chelmsford to watch the racing there and it was a very very strange afternoon because when we arrived at the race course it was an evening meeting the first race was five o'clock and we arrived at the course about four o'clock and 
we'd, we could see on the television the photographs, the, 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 the pictures coming from Aberdeen Airport of all the royal, yeah, you know, the, all the, the aeroplanes arriving from different parts of the, of the country, all arriving, all arriving in Aberdeen Airport. And it, it was pretty obvious at that point something very serious was as either had already happened or was mm. about to happen because, you know, we just didn't think that all members of the royal family would be all flown up to Aberdeen uh, quite in such a, in such haste as it were if if Her Majesty wasn't mm. either. You know, we, we figured something was going to happen and 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 after about three or four races that they the the, the, C, the CEO of Chelmsford came around. We were having. Uh, something to eat and, uh, and he came around and said look uh, we're going to run the next race which would be about the six o'clock race I think so we're going to run the six o'clock race but we are expecting some you know an announcement any minute and so we, they ran one more race and then straight after that they came on the tannoy and said look unfortunately uh, Majesty has passed away it's been announced so racing will now be abandoned and everybody just sort of filed out it was very mm. surreal um, Difficult one Thursday, wasn't it? I think Manchester United were playing Real Sociedad in the Europa mm, League, and they mm. ended up playing the game because the Spanish team was there, and yeah. it was logistically yeah. difficult to, yeah. to to counter it. Yeah, it's difficult. Um, and say horse racing closed down on obviously on the Friday, and also on the Saturday, as I think it was an additional mark of respect mm. because of their very close relationship with Her Majesty. Um, How significant was she in reinforcing the sport? Do you feel in in public? Oh, she, yeah, she was she was amazing. I mean, she, she's racing has lost. You know, we've lost our greatest fan and supporter in a lot of ways. I mean, it's, uh, mm. she's she was in love with horse, with horses and horse racing from from a very very early age, and uh, was extremely knowledgeable about the sport. She actually she was the leading owner for two years in the nineteen fifties. She was the leading owner, I think, in nineteen. 55 and then again in 1957 or something mm. uh, and and she actually very most recently she's had quite a resurgence uh, in her in her success on the course about 20 years ago she was down to five or six or seven winners per year which was mm. not very many and then just this last year she had a best winning year ever I think she had 35 or 36 winners last year Wow. in 2021 which was fantastic so it sounds she, like she was across that as well it wasn't yeah. just something that was happening in the background she no, was very no, much she, aware she knew all about every horse and uh, she had very nearly a thousand winners I think she had a winner last weekend t- 10 days ago which was her last winner while she was alive of course and I think that was her 980 something so very nearly a thousand winners over mm. a 70, 70 year period she was a you know she absolutely loved her horse racing and uh, it's, it's a big big loss to horse racing no question it's a historic sport horse racing is it, is it the oldest organised sport in this country uh, well I'd, yeah there'd be very I mean I don't know I don't know the answer to that it is, but the, a lot of these 18th century there's, is a big yeah, thing wasn't it I think it, golf goes back quite a long it, way that's true yeah uh, but uh, the Open's only 1860 though isn't it I think but, yeah, yeah but golf was played on the links in St Andrews I think before that down in Blackheath actually in London there's some photographs of people mm. roughly hitting a small ball with a wooden <laughs> yeah. stick so f- f- football and rugby were still the same sport probably then or arguing about what the sport should be they yeah. probably were they probably were that's right but uh, no horse racing's got a long very rich royal patronage and history um, and Newmarket of course was pretty much the sort of was created by the royal family and, mm. and, the, and, the, and the court was moved up there in, in the summer for the racing so yeah, big, long association with the royal family and, and Her Majesty herself, so it is a big loss. Expecting King Charles III to 
get down to the, the events because was it typically flat racing that the queen was was a big fan of or did she come to cheltenham with it yeah she came, well, actually it's quite interesting because she uh she was uh, when her father died mm. um her mother the queen mother said to her daughter which is queen elizabeth ii said uh, look one of us is going to have to we're both going to support horse racing because we both love it. One of us is going to have to focus very much on national hunts and, and the other is going to have to focus on very much on the flat. That's and the Queen Mother decided that she was more in love with the jumping game. So the, the Queen Mother uh, took on the mantle of sort of supporting national hunt racing and was an avid follower and a mm. fantastic uh, supporter. And she came to Cheltenham every year and the Queen Mother Champion Chase is named after her. Of course, yeah. And she was fantastic. And so Queen Elizabeth II uh, ended up uh, concentrating much more on the flat <laughs> and the breeding side so, yeah. yeah so that's how that happened and then they've announced the palace have announced this week that uh, Camilla will take over the the royal stud and the, and the sort of horse racing side of the royal family so we 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 are waiting with interest to find out how you know how that's going to be we, we, we hope very much that um, the Queen Consort you know, really, she loves it. So we're very much hoping she's going to be enthusiastic and continue the breeding, and and the horse racing. So uh, is it is it a big cultural divide between flat and, and national hunt in terms of the, the, the horse racing fans and in the sort of sports? Is it a bit like rugby union fifteens and sevens or T Twenty cricket and Test match cricket? What's the relationship uh, what would, like? What would be the best analogy? There, there's a reason, they are two different sports and they have. But they do overlap. You know, a lot of the trainers are dual-purpose trainers. Mm. Uh, quite a few of the jockeys start off on the flat, and as they get a bit bigger and a bit heavier, they they go towards the jumps. There's a lot of owners who own both flat horses and jumps horses, uh, and of course, a lot of the, the race courses are are mixed. So if you go to Ascot or Newbury or a lot, you know a lot of the big courses, they do flat racing and typically in the summer and jump racing in the winter. Mm. There are some courses which are only flat, such as you know Epsom and Newmarket, and there are some that are only jumps, notably Cheltenham. And, <laughs> yes. And, and so you're 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 a jumps man, or do you like do you enjoy the flat as well, the, the uh, classics? And... No, I'm, I'm a jumps man, uh, but I but I still love I still enjoy flat racing, and yeah. would, would go to Ascot every year, and would go to Goodwood, and go to some of the smaller meetings. So I enjoyed flat racing, but I absolutely love national hunt racing. So that's my first love. Do you feel there's more of a shot for the underdog in National Hunt? Is that what appeals? Uh, I think there's there's probably more of a shot for the underdog. I just love to see a, a three-mile chase. You know, the race lasts four or five minutes and you can see it unfold and how the horses jump. And, mm. you know, a lot of the flat races are over in 60 seconds. And that's very exciting. And, very, you know, that see thoroughbred racing at 30-odd miles an hour yeah. is very exciting. But to me, the jumps game, uh, it just, I just find it, emotionally just so much more so much more exciting and, and, and challenging and, and yeah I just hard to describe really but does the favourite win less often in National Hunt versus I'm thinking of horses obviously like Frankel who are just blowing people away on the flat but I don't know yeah but I think I think I mean you very rarely get a jump I mean you get some horses like a Frankel that just goes unbeaten just mm. win, you know run, runs 11 races nearly all grade ones and wins every one at a very short price and is unbelievable um there's a horse at the moment that's that's pretty well invincible who is an older horse uh, mm. and he, he and it's very rare in national hunt that you get a get a horse that would go out and only you know run 12 times and win all 12 races and 
that just doesn't happen really. I mean, mm. they often can put a sequence of wins together, but they make a mistake in offence or they, you know, they just... A lot of variables. Yeah, there, there's there. much more variables. Um, and so, yeah, the, it, it's it's probably less predictable is the jump racing because you've got to jump those, those fences which, yeah, in yeah. a way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I suppose a jockey comes into it a little bit more, maybe more time to make mistakes or not make mistakes and yeah, change think, the Yeah, that's an interesting direction. point. I mean, I, yeah, I think, I mean, I think most... Yeah, I think the flat, the flat jockeys would say, you know, the, it, it, a horse like Franklin, almost any any jockey could have ridden Franklin would have won. Mm. Uh, it's just a sort of steering job, really. The horse is so talented. Whereas with a jumps horse, yeah, you've got to got to get the horses, got to get the momentum right, got to get it, get it into a rhythm. So when it meets the fence, it's got to meet the fence on the right stride. Um, mm. And if it doesn't, it's going to either make a big mistake or possibly come down so you yeah, be quite maybe, brave as well yeah, haven't you yeah, you've got to be very brave yeah. I mean those jump jockeys they've all had you know unbelievable amount of injuries they're all they've all got metal you know yeah. joints here they're on everywhere and uh, they are incredibly brave but they do they do suffer some some you know they, none of them go a whole year without picking up injuries and over their career they get you know get a lot of quite long term injuries so they're mm. extraordinarily brave yeah, concussions and things, which you think about American football, rugby, but actually I think the horse racing jockeys get a lot of concussions, jump jump jockeys. Yeah, they wear, obviously wear hard hats, which so, and, and, and the safety measures now for horse racing are, you know, are very, very uh, well documented and well researched and, and they try obviously to, to minimise any, any mm. injuries, but, and it does, it amazes me, sometimes you see a horse fall and the jockey goes bundling off and does two or three somersaults and then a, another horse will come by and kick him for good measure and then came, him or her seems to stand up and walk away and dust themselves down quite often riding in yeah. half an hour later the next race they're extraordinarily courageous yeah and it's um, similar to yeah. boxing in a sense they're having to make weight but they're having to make mm. weight more regularly than, yeah. than, than fighters so AP yeah. McCoy's quite interesting his stories about saunas and yeah. not eating before races no and, and, and that's true for, particularly for, I think the flat the flat jockeys do find that obviously because they're racing at much lower weights you know some <clears> of the flat boys are racing at eight stone or thereabouts whereas the, the minimum weight and, and the jumps game is, is ten stone so you've got Mm. Yeah, you can you can be a bit bigger and stronger physically, um, but if you if it's if you can't, it's, you do have to waste away to get down to ten yeah. stone as a jump jockey, or waste away to get down to, you know, eight stone or even slightly less. So w- women are making, I guess, great strides in jockeying. They are fantastic. I mean, I suppose on the jumps, Rachel Blackmore is very much the, the flag bearer because she's she's been so successful winning Grand National and some Gold Cups and multiple champion hurdles. So. She is fantastic, but there's a there's a whole host of mm. super talented female riders now in 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 jumps racing and in the flat. Yeah, eight stone's a lot easier, isn't it, to make? Yeah, Holly Doyle's doing brilliantly on the on the flat. She 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 won't be the champion because uh, she's too far behind to win it. But uh, it's just a matter of time, I think, before we have a lady champion jockey, which will be fantastic for the sport. I mean, they they are extremely talented, and they and they. They're great on horseback, yeah. We had a great conversation on the podcast a few years ago, but obviously in between we've met up for a coffee, which is always always good fun. Um, but in the meantime, we've had the pandemic, the lockdowns and everything. Talking of the, the sports and the health of the sports, you're saying it's, it's a contrasting picture. How do you contrast rugby union and, and horse racing at the moment? Yeah, you're right, Ed. It's a contrasting <laughs> picture. Uh, well, let's start with rugby. Rugby was very, very badly affected by 
COVID, um, as you can imagine, it's it's it's, it's a spectator sport. Mm. Um, we have all the rugby clubs have very high fixed costs, which you can't, which are nearly all staff costs. And of course, during the big the, big squads, haven't you? Yeah, they've got big squads. You know, I mean, you you need to employ forty professional rugby players to run a run a, a Premiership rugby club to account for uh, injuries and different positions and international call-ups and, and what have mm. you. So you need 40 players. Uh, you've got a salary cap. During When we went into COVID, our, our salary, most clubs' salary uh, costs on the playing side were about eight, between eight and nine million. Mm. Um, our salary cap was lower than that, but on top of the salary cap, you've got injury credits and academy credits and various dispensations. So most clubs were spending between eight and nine million. Um, and of course, in order to pay those those salaries, you need you need ten or fifteen thousand supporters at every game. Mm. And what happened was, you know, the, the wages still had to be paid, uh, but there was nobody was allowed into the ground. So our, our income went from for most clubs, the income went from it's normally about one and a half million pounds a month for TV and sponsorship and and uh, ticket sales and what have you. It went from one and a half million to next to nothing mm. overnight. What, what portion of ticket? The ticket sales represent in terms of the income of a Premiership club. Uh, they represent about a third, probably. Yeah. And then you've got a, a third will come from sort of sponsorship and 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 all of those bits, and then a third will come from the media rights hmm. and some some payments from the RFU for utilisation of players. So the, the the money from the media held up reasonably well. BT were uh, BT, our main sponsor, were very yeah. supportive and 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 kept on paying because they uh, were able to televise the games but of course they were behind closed doors so the tv audiences actually did, did well in the uh, mm. in the uh, in the covid in the lockdown because people sat at home and they were watching sports on tv such as it was it was behind closed doors it was a bit strange but the the, the media people were happy with that um, but our, our other all of our other sources of income sponsorship obviously dried up yeah, uh, sales of you know beer and, and and food sales at the stadiums non-existent, and even uh, even shirt sales and things like that dip because people presumably buy them on yeah. the match day when they come to the ground. Yeah, yeah, people don't don't people didn't buy any shirts. I mean, people didn't you know if you remember we were all sat at home wondering yeah. what on earth was going to happen. So you, nobody was in the frame of mind of buying a, a rugby shirt or probably any type of shirt. So. Mm. Uh, uh, no, it was a really, really terrible time. Buying dogs, rugby. I think. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's right. the, yeah. It's a very, very <laughs> tough time for rugby. Uh, and, you know, all the clubs incurred huge losses for mm. 18 months. Um, but the Department of, of Sports and Media and Culture came to our rescue and made very substantial loans to all the clubs. Um, but they were loans. You know, at the end of the day, they've got to be repaid. Yeah. They were, they were, and has that they, process begun? Uh, there was there's been no repayment. I think there were no repayments for the first three years because they quite rightly worked out that nobody would be in a position to repay yeah. them if they asked. So I think I think it was a three year holiday before any repayments clicked in. That's approaching fast, so we're going to have to start repaying those loans pretty soon. Um, and they were they were friendly loans in, in mm. terms of their repayment periods and the interest rates, but they you know there is interest on the loan and they do have to be repaid. So and that, those interest rates are they fixed on the at the time or do they? Are they variable according to I think climate? I think they're variable, but they are they are as I say they 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 were they were attract you know they were they were friendly terms let's put it that mm. way. But uh, we were hoping they would be grants rather than loans, but they weren't. They were loans. So 
uh, without those loans, I think every rugby club would have gone bust. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's a, it's a huge challenge to repay those loans over the next ten or fifteen years. And is your sense, obviously, from the outside mm. with Worcester Warriors and Wasps, that this has affected their situations? I know that it's a tax payment, wasn't it? Worcester, I believe, that's been a difficulty, and at Wasps, it was a bond refinancing, which you'd know more about me. I don't know, I understand yeah. the jargon of what that means, but it's of two clubs facing a difficult, difficult time. Yeah, I think there's it's not. A, yeah, I think I think all clubs are facing you know difficult times, challenging times. Uh, mm. I think you know mo- most of the clubs will 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 survive and will find a way around these things. And I hope very much that Worcester and the Wasps can can weather the storm. Uh, Worcester's problems are you know very well documented, um, but I heard just yesterday evening that there's possibly a deal on the table, which is and I tried to ring Jason Whittingham, the owner. Mm. Worcester Warriors this morning on my way here just to wish him well and say I hope they can find a solution because you know we none of us want any of the clubs to no. fold um, that's a good local rivalry for Gloucester as well yeah and, and Worcester's, Worcester's a great rugby club I mean it's be you know it, it was it was obviously an amateur club for years and years in, in the town and then Cecil Duckworth who was the, the local Worcester chairman and owner at the time he put a lifetime of energy and, and a lot of money into Worcester Warriors to move them to their very nice stadium by the mm. side of the M5 there and it's it's a pretty well supported club that you know the people of Worcester the, you know they've they they want to have a rugby club mm. um and uh, Worcester's a you know it's a beautiful city, it's a big big opportunity town. for rugby it always felt growing up in Malvern because actually mm. Had Worcester City Football Club. I'm not even sure if mm. they're playing in in Worcester currently. You've got the cricket mm. county championship cricket team, but that's a summer sport. Mm. There's a basketball team there that I think is dropping down from the BBL mm. into the EBL mm. Division One. So they've got other sports, but it seems like there's a big opportunity, not being a big mm. football city, to, to for rugby to dominate. Yeah, um, they have got a race course, of course. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah, that, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. They, they, yeah, I mean, we, 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 I think you know we're all hoping that that that. that they can find a new owner who can invest the necessary amount of funds to, to get them to survive and thrive. Um, you know, Gloucester, we've got a fixture against them a week uh, a week tomorrow a cup, cup in, in the Premiership Cup, and we very much hope to welcome them to, to, to Kingsome for that. We're playing them in the Premiership on the Saturday, the 1st of October at Kingsome, and we hope, very much hope that they can, you know, they've... they've Got new ownership and new structure, new finances in place, um, mm. and everybody's everybody's trying to help. But at the end of the day, Worcester Warriors is an independent limited company, and they've got to find you know they've got to find their own solution. Yeah, um, but we're all we're all hoping they can, and same for Wasps. I should have remembered Worcester Racecourse. I actually went down after best mate passed away. I was working at BBC Hereford and Worcester, and mm. I had to go and do a Vox, which is mm. asking members of the public mm. their views of best mate, and it was quite mm. emotional actually going down mm. there and seeing mm. it and. Yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful spot on the side of the river near the cricket ground, isn't it? Just it is, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I remember it's just changing the subject slightly. When the, the day that um, best mate died, he died running in a race called the Holden Girl Cup at Exeter. Um, and uh, I actually owned the horse, strangely, that won that race. It's wow. a horse called Monker Hostin. Um, but as you can imagine, the, the celebrations were, I wasn't there. At, Mm. on the day I was up in Burnley uh, uh, on business but uh, a few of my you know the trainer and one or two friends were down there and they said it was a very very odd experience you know that, that Munker Hostin had won this Halden Gale Cup which is a you know very prestigious race and should have been celebrating yeah um, but if they'd heard that best mate had come to grief sort of a little ways from the grandstand and they didn't quite know what had happened but uh, they all sort of feared the worst and then of course it was announced that he he 
they had to be put down. And uh, so it was a very old, very, mm. very old day, and I shall never forget. Some of those names, isn't it? Is it what, what resonates with horses? Obviously, their success, but there's something. Is it the names that that help live in public memory? There's red rum people like that that seem to live on, aren't they? Those they seem to sort of get into the public consciousness. Yeah. Certain horses, yeah, they do. I mean, red rum did win the Grand National, yeah, three times and come came second a couple of times. <laughs> so yeah, I don't think no matter what he'd have been called, we'd have all remembered yes. him forevermore. But uh, yeah, I think people get familiar with names of horses and some names really really stick i mean best mate again he won three Cheltenham gold yeah. cups so if you do that you're, you're in you're in the you know you're gonna got statue as well yeah, yeah you've created your own your own legacy um so he was he was a fantastic horse and you know henry henderson knight sort of trained him and so it's a wonderful story um but yeah some names have more resonance. Even some names that everyone says different ways, like Corto, Cato, Star. Yeah, and well, that's another one. Yeah, yeah. When he first started, and everyone knew how to pronounce it, then we were all told what the pronunciation was. And the, <laughs> what uh, was the official one? Was it Corto? I think it was Corto. Yeah, Star. I thought it was. Yeah, yeah. I think it was Corto. Uh, but a lot of the commentators called him Cato. And yeah, anyway, <laughs> there we are. It's a great rivalry with Demon, actually. That wasn't it. That was. Yeah. I like Demon. I don't know why. I felt like he was a bit of a plodder, but quite like the comparison. The yeah, he was a big, bigger physical horse. Big tank of a horse, wasn't he? Yeah. And, uh, and of course, both trained by Paul Nichols. So it was a very interesting. That the two best three mile chasers of their generation were, were both trained by the same trainer, which was uh, interesting. Like like soggy ground, didn't he? I think. Yeah, well, he won the he won the Hennessy he won the Hennessy at uh, Newbury, which was which was pretty amazing, carrying top weight, uh, and and that's always run. It's always the last Saturday of November, and it's nearly always heavy ground or mm. you know te- very testing. Let's put it that way. And for him to win that off top weight, it was a pretty heroic, pretty heroic. It's probably probably his best. F- funnily enough, I mean, it's only a handicap. It's not a Grade One race, but it, it, it's probably his best achievement in a funny way mm. I mean, he won the girl cup publish off level weights but uh uh to win the hennessy off top weight is uh is pretty is a great achievement yeah so when you compare the financial health of, of rugby and racing what, what is the key difference is it the public imagination that they're more captured by horse racing well horse racing we were talking about the the, the, the pandemic and the, and the and the effects on on rugby which were well pretty catastrophic to be honest horse racing is very different because mm. horse racing depends much less on on the turnstiles okay. much less on people going through the gates i mean some of the small midweek meetings you've only got a thousand or 1500 people there yeah uh, what uh, what makes the the finances of horse racing uh, work well are the media rights because of course every single race is is televised in every betting shop not just in this country but around the world yeah. so uh, those the racing carried on admittedly behind closed doors but the closed doors didn't matter the important thing is that the horses raced and the betting industry was able to continue trading mm. so the media rights continue to flow to horse racing and the betting levies continue to flow to horse flow to horse racing so horse racing uh, survived actually very well throughout. throughout they probably have more time yeah. on their hands at home to watch races and yeah, to, to, yeah. to gamble potentially. So although it was a worrying time, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, it was a funny time because the, you know, we had a Cheltenham festival behind closed doors, which was just, you know, it was incredible, really. But from a financial point of view, it, it was fine. Really? Um, yeah, I mean, the, 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 that meeting was actually insured, so we were able to cover costs of. of um, non-attendance but also it was all televised and it was shown live on itv and the huge television audiences and 
and people were, were, were betting on the on the races. On what the, did it feel the... like at Presbury Park for that event, though? Uh, it was it was com- it was surreal. I, I'll never forget it. I, I, there, there was I, I was in the Royal Box. The Royal Box at Cheltenham is a big. It's a big, big box. We, can, we normally have sixty or seventy people in there for lunch. Well, you, you've been, mm. um, and and I was the only person allowed in the royal box. I was in the royal box completely on my own. My wife wasn't allowed to come racing. There was no alcohol served, and we literally, you know, I took a, I took, we got had a cheese sandwich and a bottle of water, <laughs> and um, and, I, and my job was to entertain the winning trainer. If, if the winning trainer of each race was allowed up to the royal box, so we had to stand two meters apart. And I was able to offer him a, a glass of water and a, and a, and a biscuit, uh, and, and that was it. And then in, in the next door box was another one of the directors mm. from Cheltenham, and his job was to entertain. If if an Irish horse won, was trained by an Irish trainer, his job was to entertain the Irish trainer. So I wasn't allowed to meet an Irish trainer, and he in the next door box he wasn't allowed to meet an English trainer. So you didn't take COVID back to Ireland, or there was it some... was the weirdest yeah. thing. And, and, and bizarrely, you probably remember that that. that, that festival in in 2021 the irish absolutely yeah swept all before them they were nearly every race i think <laughs> over 20 so you had a quiet so i had a very very quiet four days entertaining <laughs> i think maybe nicky henderson won a race and maybe uh, i think paul nichols would have won a race and uh yeah, anyway I, I had a very quiet time entertaining or say entertaining that's not the right word but talking to yeah uh, in five, about five English trainers who managed to win five out of the 28 races and the, the guy in the next door box had to had to look after Henry de Bromhead and Willie Mullins for the whole four days really it's interesting which different cultures get fascinated by different sports at different times but it seems like Ireland with horse racing is I guess is it, it's right up there isn't it with the, the Gaelic sports and football I suppose in terms of focus yeah I mean I, the, the horse racing in Ireland is, is huge absolutely huge um Soccer isn't such a big mm. thing in 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 Ireland. Uh, Tend to support Manchester United or someone if they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they do. I mean, they, yeah, they do. I think horse, horse racing is in, it's an enormous business over there. The breeding mm. and the the flat and the jumps. Um, it's uh, it, ha- it has been for a long time and continues to be a, a huge industry and and very very well supported. And we're 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 absolutely delighted that twenty or twenty five thousand. Uh, fans come over from from Ireland for the four days in March every year, and we they are very welcome, and we want to look after them as best we can. Well, very welcome around here. Well, you know where, where I live in the centre of Cheltenham, and actually we mm. we sat here, and mm. I know the restaurants locally say that they often make what half their revenue that that week. It's incredible how important it is for the town. I suppose that would have been a big yeah. loss actually for the the community. Yeah, it was a big loss. I mean, you know, the, the hotels and the pubs and the taxis and the, everybody. The, the, there was no income at all coming in during the during the lockdown festival in twenty twenty one. So yeah, I mean, the the, the, the racing festival is is there are, there are some elements of the town that don't welcome the the four days invasion of uh, <laughs> well, two hundred eighty thousand people attend across the four days. They're not all the, they're not. 280 different 280,000 different people you know some of them come all yeah. four days but we get about between 60 and 70,000 every single day um, and there's some people in the town that find that you know uh, challenging and and this you know that they, they struggle with it but again we work very hard we have a community department that works very hard with the local planners and the local authorities yeah. and the local community groups to try and you know make sure those four days are as as uh, are not disruptive and a and a 
and are a big benefit to the town. Well, we, we, I think we do benefit from it because I think yeah. there would be certain restaurants, even hotels that wouldn't mm. be here, yeah. that mm. have probably nice bars that we can use the rest of the year that actually wouldn't necessarily be justified on the on yeah. the business in Cheltenham. And a little bit when I lived in Twickenham, you know, you had to adapt to the, the rugby traffic and things mm. like that. But it, it, the mm. town of Twickenham was very much reliant on the rugby income. Yeah, yeah that's right. I mean, I agree with that. There's the, you know, we try we try and make sure that we, we, we are a very positive event and a very positive week for the town and try and minimize any disruption but uh, we're all we are conscious that that it's it's you know it swings both ways and we've got to be respectful of the local community and their concerns um, but at the same time i think the benefits hugely outweigh the disadvantages yeah. so yeah it's amazing how committed people are actually you know i know friends that stow away pounds throughout the year and have thousands by yeah. <laughs> just go there and it's a it's like the, the biggest feature of the, the year for them cheltenham racing festival yeah, it is. A lot of people take, you know, they take a week's holiday, and it's in, it's the, it's the, you know, it's absolutely in the diary for forevermore. And, and one of the big, one of the big heartbreaks for the for the festival in twenty twenty one, when nobody was allowed in, was that it broke a lot of people's uh, unbroken yeah. record of, you know, having attended every festival since goodness knows when, and of course they weren't allowed to come in twenty twenty one, and they were very frustrated and disappointed, but just the way it was. Yeah, certainly was. What do you perceive as the the biggest, the second biggest sport? In the UK, we accept the football probably is the, the nation's sport right mm. now. Mm. England, Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland. What do you see as the, as the second sport? Because it's an interesting debate, that isn't it? Yeah, it is an interesting debate, and it depends how you, you know, it depends how you define those things. Mm. I mean, when they talk about participation sport, it always amazes me. I think they say fishing is the oh right the, the, the biggest <laughs> participation sport in the country. I, was, I, mean, I enjoy my fishing, but I was thinking, yeah. oh, that sounds a bit odd. But, uh, <laughs> I don't know quite know what the criteria Walking, is. if you define it, I suppose. Well, yeah, I know, yeah, maybe walking now. Yeah. Cycling's very popular now, of course. Uh, the second biggest sport, uh, I mean, uh, I think horse racing is probably, in terms, in terms of employment and, uh, mm. and, and, and contribution to the national economy, I suspect horse racing is very high because of all the, the work you know, behind the scenes, not just the actual racing, but the breeding industry and, and everything that goes with racing. Especially, I think spectators... Yeah gross if you add them all up because there's so many horse racing events I think it is second to football isn't it yeah I think it is I think it is second it is yeah um but then you feel like rugby similarly to football evokes a sort of passion maybe that's that the most comparable to, to yeah football. rugby's rugby's in, rugby's interesting because the, the, there's a, a huge I think they think there's 10 million people in this country who are who are interested I think is the word interested in rugby that means they attend you know one game a year minimum and watch mm. so many games on TV minimum. And that and, and the vast majority of those, of course, are interna follow international rugby, yeah. uh, unlike football, where most of the, your football fans follow a club and then yeah. the international stuff is sort of secondary. In rugby, the international game is 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 bigger and, you know, more popular, has more fans, more TV, mm. higher TV audiences. Um, and the club game is... is our challenge at the club game is to, is to play catch up with international and, and capture a bigger percentage of those 10 million people who are interested in rugby, get them interested in club rugby. Um, because the people who claim to be interested in club rugby is, is one or two million. Mm. And so there's a there's an eight million delta, which is <laughs> it's which funny is, they wouldn't want to see the players playing for England or Wales. They wouldn't want to see them then playing for their clubs. It's interesting because oftentimes I remember watching the World yeah. Cup as a football fan in 1990, and you see yeah. Paul Gascoigne and Gary Lineker, and you wonder oh who do they, who do they play every week, and then you, you can see oh they're playing for Tottenham. I watched that game at the weekend. 
you know, that's what we want to encourage people to do. We want, we want people to see Lewis Rees Summit playing for Wales and scoring a sensational try, yeah. and then we want them to come and watch him play for Gloucester. And we want people to to see you know, Johnny May playing for England, and then we want them to come to Kingston and watch watch Johnny play for Fantastic. the club. So, yeah. you know, whenever you whenever you get a club game, and we had we played Wasps, you know, yes, uh, on Sundays, you know, and there's 30, 30 people on the on the pitch at the start of the, uh, the kickoff time at three o'clock. I, I th- nearly all of those have played for their country. Some mm. of them currently playing for their country, and some of them. Yeah, ben Morgan was playing. Wasn't he? Ben Morgan yeah. started. He played for England. He, he was the, the player of the season for England in the Autumn Test, I think it was about four years ago. But you know, nearly all of them, but not necessarily for England, but they've played. They either play for Wales or Scotland or Fiji or or Argentina. Uh, and, and same for the WASP team. You yeah. know, most, of the, most of the WASP teams would be fully capped internationals. So the standard of club rugby is is extraordinarily high. Yes. Um, and the atmosphere you get at the club grounds, you know, because the grounds are, are smaller, more compact than, than, than Twickenham. If you get twelve or 15,000 people into Kingstone or into any of the club grounds, you get a fantastic atmosphere. Mm. So it's, and it's, it's, it's different. It's, less, it's passionate but less tribal in a sense between clubs than it is in football I think is that fair to say yeah that's absolutely right you can be you can be sat at a game you can be sat right next to a, a on Sunday you could have been sat next to a wasp supporter who'd have had his wasps black and yeah. yellow shirt on and he'd have been shouting for wasps and the Gloucester guy would, or lady would have been sat next to him with a with a cherry and white shirt on <laughs> shouting away at, and shouting at the ref if he gave wasps, if he gave yeah. uh, wasps a, a penalty and then at the end of the game they'd have shaken hands and said good luck for the rest of the season and you Which know, is why we love sport. It's that friendly yeah, competition. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. There's no, there's no. I mean, people are very passionate about their own clubs, um, but they're very respectful of the opposition. And uh, yeah, there's, it's a great family day out. You can go there. You won't get any bad language. You won't get any. Nobody will throw any pies at you. Or, you know, you'll, you'll just have a great. You'll have a great afternoon out. Yeah, we'll wrap up because I appreciate time is, is very precious. But I just wanted to ask you, with that in professional rugby, because I'm fascinated by it. Because I played rugby at school and I've covered rugby. 25 years more than now it's been a professional game how do you then grow it you mentioned the tries is it does it boil down a lot of it to the style of play just in terms of capturing imagination making people want to go and watch uh the, the yeah i think i actually think the product in premiership rugby is fantastic mm. I and mean, if you look at the stats the, the, the amount of tries that are scored across the last across last season was a, was a record number of tries in the premiership the number of games that were won or lost by seven points or less was again an all-time record since we went professional in the early 90s um it's a lot of parity yeah there's the, the, every anybody can win any game almost and uh, the clubs are very even and the standard is very high so i think the um in terms of the product on the pitch uh we've got a great product in professional rugby and uh i think fans you know more and more fans will will come to watch live games i mean there's no there's no substitute for live sport mm. Um, it's all about you can watch it on the TV you can watch it recorded but to, to actually go and meet your friends there and, and spend an afternoon at, at the rugby is, it's, a, it's a fantastic it's a fantastic afternoon out it's not expensive it's you know half the price of, of football sometimes sometimes yeah. you know a third of the price of football uh, so you can go and there's all there's dispensations for juniors and, 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 and seniors actually uh, so you know you can certainly uh, go with the with the family and enjoy a great afternoon and it's not it's not it's not too expensive and it is a great it's a great afternoon out good yes. atmosphere great quality products so I think rugby's in a good place 
Good. Well, that's good to hear. It's a pulsating atmosphere at Kingsham. I can certainly um, endorse that. And where do people... Is it GloucesterRugby.com? Is that the, the website for tickets? Yeah, yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. And it's not actually, it's GloucesterRugby.co.uk. Oh, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> very yeah. very localised. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. And, and Cheltenham, are there any tickets left for the festival next March? Uh, there are a few. Well, the, the, the tickets for the festival are selling fast. We've been... Uh, very pleasantly surprised we, we thought 2022 we thought this was a sort of boom year because people hadn't been able to come in 2021 and so we thought 2022 mm. was a sort of a an exceptional year for sales and we weren't expecting it to be uh, as 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 uh, fantastic in 2023 we've been amazed at the level of sales uh, for the festival already next year and and i would say if anybody's listening and is hoping to get to the festival next March. They, they want to be getting online now and buying the tickets. I think, yeah. I think Girl Cup Day may even be already sold out. Mm. I, I, might, I might be wrong on that, but I know the ticket sales are exceeding all our expectations. So uh, that would be my advice if you want to go to the festival. Outside of Gold Cup Day, what's the best day to go, do you think? Is there a sort of... Uh, well, all the, all the days of... The, obviously, Gold Cup Day next year is on is on the 17th of March. That's St. Patrick's Day. So that'll be that's one of the reasons yeah. it's probably already virtually sold out. <laughs> Uh, I love the first day, the Tuesday, mm. it's Champion Hurdle Day and the Arkle, and it's very special because it's the first day of the festival, and I absolutely love the Tuesday. The Wednesday is a lot of people's favourite, the Queen Mother Champion Chase, the two-mile championship race, um, uh, and it's a little, the Tuesday and Wednesday tend to be a little bit quieter. Uh, the Thursdays, you know, over 70,000 people, although we have restricted the crowds for next year. We're actually uh, maxing the crowds at, I think, 68,000. Uh, just to give everybody a little bit more breathing space and okay. a bit more chance to get to the facilities and the bars and things <laughs> what. So uh, there's only 68,000 going to be there every day next year. But Thursday gets pretty busy and that's that's a cracking day again with the, the Ryanair chase and the stairs hurdle. And then, of course, Girl Cup Day is Girl Cup Day and that'll be... Yeah. Big, that's, if it's not already sold out now, it'll be sold out very soon. Well, it's brilliant to hear that it's going well and it's brilliant to hear the rugby is, is going well as well. Being here in Cheltenham, I think, supporting the local clubs and hoping that Cheltenham Town stay in League One as well. So oh, yeah. across yeah. that, and, you know, not too too unhappy of Forest Green, Prosper and, and Gloucester City either. So yeah. uh, great. Martin, been a pleasure to have you again. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Pleasure. Thanks very much, Ed. Thank you to Martin St. Quinton for that brilliant stuff. And if you are local and want to check out Gloucester Rugby, certainly go to Kingsham. Fantastic atmosphere and the race course as well. Always a good day out. I appreciate his insight into both sports, the finances and, and how they're doing in, in contrast after the lockdown, how it affected different sports in different ways, different businesses. I know we all have, know people have had very difficult times. Other people have prospered perhaps. I think I'm somewhere in the, in the middle. Maybe maybe you are as well. But yeah, it's uh, good to get his, his take of that. Really appreciate his time. Thank you to you for listening and thank you to the sponsors, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installations, B&O underscore Cheltenham on social media. Get in touch with Jason Briggs and his team. Remember, it's Cytoplan if you're looking to optimize your immunity, if you're looking for a multivitamin, vitamin you may call it if you're in the States, or a bespoke specific supplement like vitamin D3 as we head into winter here in the northern hemisphere of the world, go to cytoplan.co.uk and check out 
discount code is DRAPER10R, my last name, D-R-A-P-E-R, all capital letters, the numerals 10 and the capital letter R, 30% off your first purchase, 10% thereafter with that code. And uh, remember to check out the free complimentary session with the Holman Academies, Anthony Asprey. As I say, I spoke to Anthony on the podcast back in April. Let's have a listen to that to find out more about what he's doing to help men, some of the challenges of, of, of life and finding direction and, and good health mentally and physically worth speaking to Anthony and there's free five free complimentary sessions with the podcast so follow the link in the show notes thank you for listening if you enjoyed it please rate it on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening on or just tell a friend thank you and have a great week bye for now mm-hmm.